been working our way through the letter of Galatians, Paul's letter, thought to be the very earliest writings in the New Testament. And in it, we know that Paul is contending for the gospel. He is seeing it under threat from people who would want to return these early believers back to religion. And he is writing to them to challenge and encourage them to stay true to Jesus. So we're going to um, pick it up in chapter 3 and verse 23 and go through chapter 4 to verse 11. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you do know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the Bible in our hands. We can read it. We can learn from it. And by your spirit, would you mold us, give us insight into your truth that we might be set free by it. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're back in Galatians. A couple of questions. What would you rather be? 
A slave or a son or daughter of God? I'll give you a few minutes to ponder that. (laughs) From your response, I gather it's a no-brainer. Paul would think so too, but he's really concerned that the Galatians are choosing, rather than to be sons and daughters of God, they're choosing to be slaves again. Another question. How did you get here tonight? Hands up if you walked. (laughs) Hermie, you walked. You may have run, okay. Hands up if you came by car. Ooh. Hands up if you came more than five miles. 10 miles. 15 miles. Oh, it was between 10 and 15. So who's come the furthest? 12 miles. Over 12 miles? Just 12 miles. Is that the furthest? Anyone else beat 12 miles? Brenda and Edmund, you win. Congratulations. You don't win anything, but you win. All our journeys tonight have been different. Whether we've just walked down the path from the manse, which is the shortest journey that was taken tonight, or whether you've traveled nearly 12 miles, we have all arrived here at the same destination. Paul argues in these passages that we're reading together that Jewish and Gentile believers have come from different places on different journeys. Some have taken longer journeys than others, but they have arrived at the same place of faith in Jesus Christ. So whether you be a Jew or a Gentile, by faith in Christ, you are saved. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we have a direct relationship with God. In Galatians 3, um, and if you didn't hear Edward's sermon on Galatians 3, I would recommend it to you to go onto the um, website and, and listen to it. Excellent. Paul surveyed 2,000 years of Old Testament history and uh, Edward sort of gathered it into half an hour, which is brilliant. Paul particularly showed the relationship between these three great figures of biblical history, Abraham, Moses, and culminating in Jesus Christ, the Lord. He explains how God gave a promise to Abraham. That promise was that all nations would be blessed through his seed, Jesus Christ. He wants to remind those who are reading his letter that grace came to Abraham. He believed God, believed his promises, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he was made right with God because he had faith in God. He believed God. Then there was Moses. Moses, whom led the people of Israel out of slavery under God's mighty hand. 
and to Moses he gave the law. But again, the reminder that God's grace came first. The people of Israel were delivered out of slavery by God's grace. Nothing that they did. Nothing that they could have achieved. It was, in fact, the blood of the Lamb that saved them at the Passover. And then both the promise and the law are fulfilled in Jesus Christ when God himself comes in the flesh. Paul, who was a strict Jew, he knows what he's talking about, understands that the law cannot save. It doesn't even lift a finger to save. The law actually just points out where we fail. In fact, part of its purpose was that so that it would point us to a saviour, that we need a saviour because we cannot be perfect. We are flawed. And he talked in chapter 3, if you picked it up because I did a little recap in the reading, that the law kept us in custody, it says. Paul says that the law acted almost like a prison officer or something. Locked up until faith came which is an interesting image that he uses. But when Jesus comes, we are set free from slavery to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. Peter, I read it right at the beginning of the service, talks about an inheritance that we have as those who believe, kept in heaven for us, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's a certainty. Once we have believed in Christ, we have this certain hope We have an inheritance that no one can rob us of. It can't fade or spoil or perish. And then as we come into chapter 4, Paul feels the need to go over this argument again because he feels that those who are listening may not have got it the first time. So he uses a different analogy, but the same point is being made. He contrasts our condition under the law in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 4. And then our condition in Christ, verses 4 to 7, and then in verses 8 to 11, he makes this impassioned plea to his readers again. The sequence of Paul's thought goes like this. Once we were slaved, all of us, Jews and Gentiles alike, we're all in the same boat, as it were. We were all slaves, he says. Gentiles to spiritual forces that they did not understand, idolatry, things that called themselves gods but were not, Jews to the law. But now in Christ we are sons and daughters, inheritors of the promise of God. So why would you choose slavery again? If you had the choice, would you want to be a slave or a son or daughter of God? Foolish Galatians, as he writes in chapter 3. So our condition under the law. And the picture he paints is of an heir to a great inheritance, to a great estate. And one day it will be theirs. It's theirs by the promise. They've been promised this inheritance. But it's not reached age of maturity. They are still children. They will inherit it on the day that the father sets. So Paul paints this picture of of these people who are heirs to a great inheritance, but they don't inhabit now because it's waiting for them. So in a way, they're no better off than the slaves in the household. 
may be hard for us to understand, but he's saying, actually, even if you're a son or daughter, an heir to this estate, until you actually reach that point of maturity, you're just this, like a slave in the same position. One day it will be theirs. So during their childhood, they are no better off than slaves. They are subject to their guardians, their trustees, those who have been placed around them to guide them, direct them until the time the father is set. And in those days, those guardians had authority over the children. They could order them, restrain them, instruct them, even abuse them. So until the date of freedom, until the date of release, until the date of maturity, they're no better than slaves. So says Paul, those under the law. They're heirs of the promise of Abraham, but they've not inherited it yet. And the law being this guardian, this trustee. Paul says that the coming of Christ has changed everything for everyone. The coming of Christ has changed everything for Jew and Gentile, for the whole world. The law was supposed to point to the need of a savior. There were instructions to live by, not things that we could tick off and say, I can earn my salvation if I keep all these things. And then we realize we can't keep them. And if you're trying to earn it by keeping rules and regulations and laws, it's the most miserable of lives. You're like just a slave. Because you're never free. You never have assurance. The law was supposed to point to the need of a rescuer, but the devil has twisted the law to make slaves. Just as some evil guardians may have abused their, the heirs under their care, what God intended in the law to reveal sin and drive us to Christ, says Paul, it has actually driven people to despair because the enemy twists it. You're not good enough for God. You don't keep the law. God meant it in a way as an interim step to justification in Christ. Satan means it as a, as a, to keep us in condemnation. And there's a moment where the law turns into religion. See, the law was given for good, to preserve the people of God, but it becomes slavery to them because they use it as a means of getting to God, which they never can. So God's actions in Christ, verses four to seven. When the time had fully come. It's that wonderful, just the little line, when you wonder, why, what, when, why did Jesus come at that time? Well, God says, it was the right time. End of discussion. That childhood that we talked about, you could work out, lasted 1,300 years. When the time 
set had fully come, God does two things. He sends his son and he sends his spirit. Sends his son and sends his spirit. God sent his son to redeem and adopt. Not just to rescue us from slavery, but actually to adopt us into his family. God sent his son, Jesus, born under the law, was a human being, born under the law. Jesus in his life submitted to all the requirements under the law. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the righteousness of the law, the only one ever. The only ever perfect human being. He succeeded where the whole of Israel fails. In fact, you could see Jesus as the perfect Israel. So God comes in the humanity, in Christ, also in the divinity, Christ, and the righteousness of Christ, and his humanity and divinity and righteousness qualifies him to be the savior of the world because he's God, he is perfect, and he gives his life as a ransom for many. That's why his death is so powerful. If you ever wondered, why is Jesus' death so powerful? One, because he's God, but he is a perfect human being. All that he did, he did in, not in the divine strength. When he defeated the devil in the temptations, he defeated the devil in human strength. He used the scriptures. He could have called 72,000 angels, said, deal with this one. God sent his son. And secondly, God sends his spirit. And Jesus talks a lot when he is about to leave the disciples about the Holy Spirit who will come, who is like him. And the Spirit will witness to our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. This is how we know that we're adopted into the family of God. Because the Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirit when we have accepted Christ that we are children of God. It's who we are. We're adopted into the family. That's how we know. It's a revelation of the Holy Spirit to our hearts that we can call God Abba, Father, we only know that because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to us deep inside of us. We haven't got to know that through study. Yes, it's revealed in the scriptures, but it is the witness of the Holy Spirit that assures us. And he wants us to know. The Bible is full of those promises that God wants us to know where we stand with him. He wants you to know that you have eternal life as a gift if you're in Christ Jesus. He wants you to know that you are a son and daughter of his and that it's not dependent on you and your performance, but it's based on his grace and his mercy and his love. Because if we go back to the performance thing, we will just be lost again in slavery. 
And here in this wonderful passage, we, we see the Trinity. There, in the earliest scriptures written in the New Testament, the Trinity is revealed to us. There's the Father, who we can call Abba. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who actually reveals that to us. And, and there is Jesus, God the Son. So access, acceptance, forgiveness. Our status has changed as we've believed in Jesus from being slaves to children adopted, inheritors of the promise come of age. In fact, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit could be regarded as the greatest privilege we have as God's children. Because if you begin to think about it, it begins to be overwhelming. God's spirit lives in you and me. And we think, how can that be? Because I'm so flawed and broken, and, but yet it's true. What a privilege that God lives in us by his Holy Spirit. God at his closest to us. And Paul reminds the Galatians that it's all been of God's grace. It's all been received by faith, not works. That freedom has come because God has revealed himself to us, sealed in the blood of the Lamb. So that new exodus, Jesus, who dies on the cross, the new law written on our hearts now by the Holy Spirit, The law could not fulfill the promise. The law couldn't redeem. The law couldn't set free. Paul knew it. He was as zealous as anyone. He tried to keep the law but just made him miserable. And so the Gentile journey to faith is out of slavery too. Out of the darkness of idolatry, lost in sin. They did not know about the one true God, but when Christ was revealed, they could become part of the family. So he's actually saying that there's been two journeys, the Jews who have come to faith in Christ Jesus and the Gentiles who have come to faith in Christ Jesus may have come from different destinations. Some walked, some came by car, some came 12 miles, but they all arrived at the same point, faith in Jesus Christ. There is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male, female. All are one in Christ Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And that's why Paul gets in so much trouble. The Jews hate him. They can't get over the fact that he changed sides. He says those journeys match together because arriving at the same place, one in Christ Jesus. So Jew or Gentile are no longer slaves, but God's children, heirs, adopted. It is still controversial. I had the privilege of spending a month in Israel in my sabbatical and having lots of discussions at this college just outside Bethlehem. 
And the most interesting discussions we had were with Jews. And I've heard it said to me, but surely it's the same God, isn't it? Christians and Jews worship the same God. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. And they were saved by faith in the Old Testament and kept by the law until Christ came. And so for the Jew to be saved now, it is through faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you can be saved without Jesus Christ, that throws up a whole new thing and it's not what the Bible teaches. I know it's difficult for, for sometimes us to understand. Remember getting into a discussion and it was quite irate. But the truth was this, I'd met many Christian Palestinian Arabs who I thought were heirs of Abraham by faith and Orthodox Jews who were not heirs of Abraham because they didn't have faith in God the Son who had come to earth to reveal the freedom from sin and guilt and death. They were rejecting Christ, waiting for the Messiah to come, still waiting for the Messiah to come. And it is an issue within the Christian church because if you go to another church, someone may say, well, no, that theology is wrong and different. But for me, as reading the New Testament, it has to be about faith in Christ. The journey started, maybe. Yes, we are children of Abraham. By faith. Not because I am a Jewish, but because I'm in Christ. And the Jew who becomes a Christian is saved because of their faith in Christ, who is the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham, the fulfillment of the law given to Moses. It was controversial then, it's maybe still. For Paul, the coming of Christ has changed everything for Jew and Gentile. All those early believers in Christ were Jews. The apostles. And so he comes to that impassioned plea in verses 8 to 11. Paul again contrasts what we once were to what we have become. And this time he's painted it in the fresh colors of our knowledge of God. Once you did not know God, he says to the Galatians. You were slave to the no gods. But now in Christ you know God. Rather, he says, actually you're known by him. What a privilege to say that we can know God. We can know him. We can walk with him. We can talk with him. We can walk through life with him, through this life into eternity with God. Free from guilt, and condemnation because we've been set free in Christ. 
And there'll be other discussions of Paul will have because people go, ah, but that's a license to sin, isn't it? No, says Paul. Because the Holy Spirit writes it on our hearts. Because we're living in love with God now. So Paul asked the questions of the Galatians. If you had the choice, would you rather be a slave or would you rather be a son and daughter of God? Would you rather be free or go back to that miserable, weak life of trying to earn your salvation that can never be done? Locked up again. It reminded me as I read the story of Jesus' story of the prodigal son. You remember that famous story. And he, he spends his inheritance on wild living and he, he comes to his senses and he goes back. What does he say? I'll go back and be a slave. I'll go back and be a slave. And what does Jesus say that the father does? He says he runs out to him and he embraces him and he throws a party and puts a robe and a ring upon him and he says, this son of mine was dead but now he's alive. God doesn't say, yeah, you come back, you work for me. You come back and be a slave. You rotten thing, you. All the failures in your life, you come work it off. You come pay your debts. Imagine that. He says, no, you come. We'll have a party. You're my son, my daughter. This is the good news, says Paul. Why would you turn away from it? Why would you go back to slavery again? We are sons and daughters. We have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for us. We shall return to this argument, no doubt, in the next few chapters, maybe after Easter. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures again. We